Heavenly Father, we come today, and Lord, we, uh, we thank you that we have the freedom to come and to worship you this morning. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can be here together and that, uh, Lord, we're surrounded by people who have, um, who have uh, received uh, your compassion. Lord, just like, just like me, everyone else around here has received your grace and your mercy. We are evidence, Lord God, of your grace and your patience, your love and your forgiveness, Father. And Lord, each of us came from a different place. Uh, each of us came from a place of, of, uh, of need of, of your forgiveness, Lord God. And uh, what can we say this morning except your grace, your mercy, your compassion, Lord God, for us has been abundant. And Lord, we just relish in it. We, we, uh, we enjoy it. We, we, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord God, that you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have forgiven us, and you accepted us even to the point, Lord, when uh, before, uh, before we knew you, before we followed you, while we were still uh, in the throes of sin, Lord God, you demonstrated your love for us, and Christ died for us. So, Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would uh, uh, just express again in our hearts, remind us again by your Holy Spirit, the great grace that you've shown us, the great compassion that you've poured out upon us, Lord God, and the great redemption that came through the, the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. All right. I wanted to, this morning, open up to a, uh, a passage this morning that's really a fascinating look um, because you see such a stark contrast between Jesus and some of his uh, people who were his enemies uh, in, in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, turn there to John chapter 8, please. We're going to spend most of our time this morning. Um, such an interesting passage it has. There's so many times in the scriptures and the gospels where we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and Jesus and their view on the world, their view on about God is so to- completely and totally very different. And this is one of those great stories, one of those great accounts uh, that it's just uh, very obvious about uh, what God is like. And, and the great thing here is that we can see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so conniving and so manipulative and so self-serving. Uh, had a great love for the law, but uh, didn't understand it. And uh, it's such a great contrast whenever we see Jesus show up and and tell these guys basically that they had it all wrong. It's really kind of great to see because we learn a little bit more of what what God's like than what what they understood. All right, so John chapter 8, we're going to read, we're going to break this into three different parts. We're going to read the first part, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says this in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Um, you know, before I get into that, let me say, those of you who are reading the NIV, you'll notice a note above there that says the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have John chapter 7, 50 through, chapter 7 verse 53 through 8, 1. Um, it, in some of the early manuscripts that we have of, the, of parts of the New Testament, um, we, the early, earliest manuscripts don't have this account in there. Uh, so why is it in there today? Some of the later accounts... Uh, later copies of the uh, of the book of John uh, do have this in there. So what happened? Pro- think probably because uh, this is, don't take my word for it. These are uh, actual theologians, people who study studied the biblical text. Think that probably what happened is that this story uh, was handed down orally, like all of the stories of of of, uh, of 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 the gospels were. Some of them are actual accounts where the people who actually saw what was happening wrote it down, and they wrote it down themselves. At other times, though, we have, of course, things that happened where someone had had uh, had interviewed or had met or talked to someone about the account, and they go back and write it again later. Luke, as you know, was not an, an apostle. He was not one of the disciples of Jesus, but he writes a gospel because of the Christians that he had 
uh, interviewed for or, or, or followed through there to write the Gospel of Luke. What probably happened in this case was there was an oral uh, a story account of what had happened here in, uh, that we see in, the, in John chapter 8 and probably wrote it in here because it kind of fits really nicely between two points that John's trying to make. Um, not for the point of trying to, to uh, be uh, malicious, but an attempt to try to kind of tie two parts of the story together, all right? So we believe that that's true. It's certainly consistent with what we see with other parts of the Scripture, and there are several tests that you, know, that, you, that you look at as far as whether or not a text belongs into the Scripture. So anyway, that's why that comment is there, is that this was probably a story that was added, added after uh, John had written it. Uh, so anyway, follow with me along in uh, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Let's stop there for just a moment. So here's what happens. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law go and catch a woman in the act of adultery, and they drag her up in front of Jesus and in front of the group and in front of the whole group of people, whoever's there standing there listening to Jesus. In order to try to trap Jesus, they accuse her and say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In Deuteronomy, it says that we should stone her. Actually, in Deuteronomy, it's kind of interesting. In Deuteronomy, it says that you should stone the man and the woman. What happened to the man, we don't know. Uh, whether they fabricated the story, we don't know. Uh, the woman certainly doesn't uh, say anything to defend herself, uh, but, uh, but we, don't, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if maybe they just let the man off just because they were just simply trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Here's the deal. Jesus is put in a difficult place here. In one regard, he could tell the woman, uh, you know what, I forgive you, you shouldn't be stoned, and you should be let go. If, she, if he did that, then the, the Pharisees would see, see, he doesn't support the law. He's no teacher. You shouldn't be listening to him. On the other hand, if he'd have said, no, yeah, you're right, Deuteronomy that says we should stone her, then we should stone her, then a couple of things would happen. One is, of course, he would lose some favor with people as they saw this woman stoned to death, right? The other thing is, is that under Roman law, only Rome had the ability or the authority for capital punishment. And so Jesus would be in trouble with some of the, government, the Roman government there, right? You see the difficulty he's at? And you see, th th this happened more than one time in the scriptures where they're, they're trying to catch Jesus and they're trying to discredit him uh, over and over again in, in the Gospels. And, uh, and, and they look and, you know, they're seeing, hoping that, you know, Jesus will be squirming here a little bit about what he's going to do. Uh, of course, they don't know who they're dealing with. But in, uh, so there's the deal. This woman caught, this woman brought before him. She doesn't say anything in her defense that she wasn't doing it, so we think she probably was. Uh, caught in the act of adultery, and they weren't just making it up. But look what happens. Look at Jesus' response. Look at Jesus' response in the middle of verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, how many of you have heard sermons where people are guessing what he wrote? Yeah, we have no idea. It's just not there. We, we, could, we could conjecture, but there's, we just have no idea what he wrote. But anyway, he wrote on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let he be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, heard to go, those who heard began to go away one at a time, 
the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. All right, so let's, let me, let's pause there for just a minute. Jesus' reaction completely wrecks the Pharisees' whole day. You know, they'd spent some time apparently planning this whole deal. They were going to trap him. They were going to discredit him. They were going to say no matter what he chooses, here we've got him. We've got him nailed one way or the other. We're going to discredit this guy, and we're going to kick him out of here. It'll be all over. It'll be great. And, uh, but Jesus says, okay, you guys want to fulfill the law, then you who's without uh, sin cast the first stone. It says, interestingly enough, that what happened, the eldest among them, walked away and one by one they went away until there was only Jesus and the adulterous woman um, the interesting thing there is that there was one person there who was without sin there was one person there who was without sin there was one person there who could cast judgment there was one person there who could cast condemnation there was one person there who could rightfully uh, carry out the punishment of the law of, uh, of Deuteronomy. And it was Jesus Christ, and he was left there with her. Interesting thing. And not only would, would it have been, uh, not only would it have been, um, it would have actually been right, it would have been according to the law, right, for him to have cast the stones, right, to kill her. It would have been according to the law, true? Yeah. And he being the one who was righteous, the one who was holy and perfect, could have cast the stones at her and, and killed her for her sins in, of adultery. And she was left, uh, unbeknownst to her at this point, she was left with the one uh, who could condemn her and left with the one who could, uh, could con- condemn her to death. And the only one who could condemn her without being a hypocrite. But it says in John, chap- in, in, uh, John 8, verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. An amazing thing. It's an amazing passage of Scripture here where you see what, you know, what we know, you know, reading back, we can look back 2,000 years and we can know what's going on here. This woman certainly didn't know what was going on. She got, got cast in the middle of this thing where, where the Pharisees tried to discredit Jesus and she just thrown into the middle of it as a pawn to try to be used by the, uh, as a pawn by the Pharisees to try to discredit him. And, uh, and, and she shows up, and she's actually face-to-face with her creator, with her maker, and the one who would be her savior. And he would say, uh, he would say to, her, to her, neither do I condemn you. Uh, those are amazing words, especially when you remember, you and I can look at this and say, Jesus, fully God and fully man, Jesus being fully God, that he would, stay, that he would say to her, I do not condemn you. That's, those are amazing words, aren't they? Those are incredible words from a God that is holy and perfect and righteous and demanding of, of justice. Those are incredible words. Yeah. Those are incredible words. Um, it's an interesting story, too, from this standpoint. There was, in, if I just gave you the plot, if I set it up like a like a like an act like a one act play, and I said, there, okay, let me tell you, there are these Pharisees who are very righteous in their following of the law, and then there were people who were teachers of the law who who taught other people, and and they had incredible amounts of scripture memorized, and and they understood the Torah and the Talmud inside and out. And they they had all this memorized, and then there was this woman who was an adulterous woman, and if I told you at the beginning of the story, one of these people would find forgiveness and grace. Who would you suspect? Wouldn't be the woman caught in adultery, would it? 
Wouldn't it be the one who were certainly closer to God? Wouldn't it be the ones who, who we thought, well, well, surely those that understood the, 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 the Old Testament, surely those would be the ones who would find God this day, who would find grace and forgiveness. But no, it was the worst of all of them. It was the adulterous woman, the woman who was caught in the act, who found grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ that day. Can you imagine, too, the embarrassment that she went through? You know, in the, you know, today we, uh, we look at adultery as something that everyone does. It's condemned by the scriptures. Um, the, 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 uh, this woman committed adultery and was paraded around in front of all the people and in the temple of all places in a holy place, and she was uh, embarrassed and ashamed there uh, whenever they accused her there publicly. Uh, they didn't have to do that. Uh, they didn't have to do that, but he, they embarrassed her and, and shamed her publicly. She must have also feared for her life, you know. She could have been killed that day. She could have been stoned that day. Uh, and being, she must have surely known that she was wrong, and she must have surely known that it was her own sin that put her there. And when she got there, our holy, righteous, and perfect Jesus Christ said, but I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Let me ask you this morning, have you been there at that place? I don't mean have you ever been in a place where you feared for your life because people are going to kill you for your sins. What I mean is, have you been in that place where you have been embarrassed, humiliated, when you've been faced with your own sin and you say, kind of like uh, Paul in the, in the book of Romans chapter 7, he says, what a wretched man am I. Have you been in that place where you've been faced with your own sin and your own mistakes and your own failures in your life that you said, I am a miserable terrible failure. I have sinned and, and, and I, I have no excuses. I have no one to blame but myself. Have you been at that point where you've been found out? Where you've been caught in a sin? Where you've been embarrassed by your own behavior? While you've, that, that you've been ashamed by your own behavior? By your own mistakes and your own failures in your lives? I think that happens to almost everyone. Almost everyone. The really incredible thing about it is like Jesus said to this woman, he would say to you and I today, I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin, but I don't condemn you. It's an incredible thing. It's an amazing thing about our God that he could very well demand justice and say, you know what you deserve is punishment. You know you deserve to be killed. You know that, that the, the rewards for a sinful life is death. And he would be right to administer justice that way, would he not? But here's the amazing thing that we find out through Jesus Christ. When we really know God through him is, is this. And we really see what God is like. We can see it through Jesus Christ. He says, I don't have condemnation for you. I have grace and mercy and somehow even acceptance and forgiveness. It's an amazing thing. How many of you have been set free from your life of sin? How many of you don't carry the guilt of your, of your life anymore? How many of you don't carry uh, the shame that came with your life before? I, I'm one. I'm one. Are you one? I've been set free even from my own mistakes. Those things that were, were that I can say fully that, yeah, that was mine. That was all me. That was me acting in selfishness. That was me acting in stupidity. That was me acting in a way to, to fulfill my needs with, you know, illegitimately. You know, sin is a legitimate need met in an Ill, illegitimate way. That was me acting 
uh, on my own behalf without any regard for anyone else. Yeah. Anyone see anything like that this week? I tell you, I, it, it's amazing to me our pop culture where, yeah, I don't know, people could be dying in the streets in some third world countries, but man, Tiger Woods uh, shows up and gives an interview, and all of a sudden that's like all that is being covered. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy to me. Uh, interesting t- things to me, it, some interesting things that, uh, that Mr. Woods had to say. One of the things was he said that he made a mistake. Uh, he took full, full responsibility for it. I'm not going to go on because you heard that plenty of that this week, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not going to go on talking about that. But do you remember the grace that you found from God? Do you remember when you were at that place where you were ashamed or embarrassed or overwhelmed by your sin? Do you remember what it was like to be met by a Savior who said, I don't condemn you either. In fact, I accept you, and I, and I uh, remove all of your sin. I know I'll put away all of your guilt and all of your shame uh, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that moment in your life? It's easy to forget. You know, we become a Christian, and we kind of walk along, and, and we think of our life as well before Jesus Christ and now after, but... Uh, of course, we all know we're in continuous need of a Savior, right, on this side of eternity. But do you remember what it was like to learn that God meets sinners not with judgment and punishment, but with patience and grace? Do you remember that? Do you remember, let me, let me ask one more thing. Do you remember when you were embarrassed and you were humiliated and you were embarrassed or you were overwhelmed by your own sin? Do you remember probably for a while you hid from God? Do you remember probably you didn't want to be in contact with anyone who was holy or righteous whatsoever? You were probably not in church, right? You didn't want any part of anyone who was trying to teach or preach on something holy or righteous. You didn't want any part of God. Matter of fact, you feared him perhaps. You tried to keep away from him, keep an arm distance away from him for a time. Do you remember that? But someone probably came to you and delivered a message to you about God's grace and forgiveness. And then for the first time in your life, you understood God in a totally different way than you did before. Yeah. That he was not a God of punishment. He was not a God of, of, uh, of justice, at least not yet. But right now is the time that people can fall under the Lord's favor through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? <clears throat> in Romans, in the book of Romans, there's a startling statement about God. It says that while we were still in the throes of sin, that Christ left heaven and stepped across Uh, time and space to rescue us. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is one of the, this is going to be the focal point of this whole series. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took, here's the deal, we were all lost. Every one of us on the face of the earth were all lost. And Jesus at that moment did not wait until we had cleaned up our act. He did not wait until we went to seek after him or, to, or, to, or for us to look for him. But in the midst of our sin, he took a step toward the ungodly. This is not what's taught. This is not how our society thinks about God, is it? They think about God as being either very judgmental or, or else very permissive, right? I tell you, he's neither, right? He is neither. He deals with our sins very seriously, right? We see that through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Punishment was paid. Punishment was paid, and it was all laid upon him. Yeah. 
He is not a permissive God. He does not say, oh, yeah, you can just do whatever you want. I know our society likes to believe that, but it's not true. You can't, you can't do whatever you want, but you're forgiven for whatever you've done. Yeah? That is the grace and the mercy of our God. And instead of being uh, repelled or disgusted or judgmental about our sin, he embraces us with acceptance and love and forgiveness. It's amazing, isn't it? You remember when you first learned that about God? You remember learning that he's not a God who's out to get you and he's not waiting for you to mess up and he wants to whack you with a two-by-four? Um, he came to redeem our sins. He came to forgive us and not just to punish us. If you've found God's grace and forgiveness and redemption, then you know Psalm 32 uh, says this. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Yeah? Have you been blessed like that? Do you know what it is whenever your sins have been removed and you no longer face and hold the guilt for your sins, that they've actually been removed and dealt with through Jesus Christ? The Bible says that that man is blessed. The man is blessed. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. We are blessed people, yeah? We are a happy, a blessed people to know a God who does not hold his, our sins against us, but he forgives us by the punishment that was paid through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've found God's grace, then maybe you've found maybe the greatest gift on earth. Is there anything greater than this? Is there something greater than this than to know that God is not in, in, the, in the business today of judgment and condemnation and punishment? but he's in, the, he's in the business of mercy and grace and forgiveness and acceptance. Is there anything greater than that gift? I think maybe on this earth, I think maybe that's the most important thing, uh, is that you and I have found a way that, that God has made to relate to us and connect with us by the forgiveness of sins that come through Jesus Christ. Um, I think that may be the greatest thing that's maybe ever happened to us. Um, is the God that you know full of mercy and compassion? That's the God of the scriptures. Is he full of mercy and compassion? Um, does he inspire you with his ideas about how your life can really count? What I mean is this, is that you've found an incredible gift by Jesus Christ making it known to you, probably through another person. Right? Um, how about this? What if you could do that in the life of someone else? Here's the amazing thing about this story, I think, is that all these other, the, all these men, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were all felt very close to God because of their knowledge of the Scriptures, their knowledge of the, of the Torah, and, and, and their knowledge of who God was and how he worked through, through the sacrificial system and, and all the laws and the, and the requirements. But the amazing thing is this woman who is far, far, far away from God, she was the one that found him. And I tell you, we as Christians, we kind of get this idea in our minds that there are people who are close to God and there are friends of the people we go to church with or there, there are friends who go to First Baptist or First Methodist or whatever. And we have this idea about those are the people who are closest to God. Can I tell you that the people who may be the closest to God are the ones who may be forgiven the most? Jesus said that, in fact, didn't he? And so the people that you and I look at and we see how very rough their life is and what horrible choices they're making in their lives. And when you look at their lives and say, you know, their marriage is a wreck or all of their ex-marriages are wrecks, their, their children are a wreck, 
uh, they have problems with addiction. We have all these things that we look at a person's life and we think they are far from God. But can I tell you, sometimes it is those people who are the very nearest to repentance and forgiveness and salvation. Yeah. In some cases, in fact, it is those people who think they're already righteous are the furthest away from God. Yeah. You see, you know people, do you have people in your life, do you have people that you go to school with, people in your workplace? Are there people there that you think, there is no way, Lord, that, 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 that they, these people are going to become Christians. There's just no way that they're going to accept you. Can I tell you, they may be closer than you think. They may be closer than you think. They may be the people who are most desperate in need of grace and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. You with me? All right. Um, one more question. Is the God that you know worth knowing? Is the God that you know worth knowing? Would other people like the relationship with God that you have? Would other people like to have the relationship with God that you have? I hope the answer is yes. Let me share with you a couple things from Bill Hybel's book, Just Walk Across the Room. He says this, one of his, uh, I believe a seminary professor, a Bible school, uh, school professors, said, you're going to give your life to something all people do they give their lives to pleasure or possessions or comfort or popularity or to work or to the attainment of more power, but always to something. If you really believe in the redeeming and transforming power of God's presence in a person's life, then the single greatest thing you can do with your life is to tell someone how to be rightly connected to God. Isn't that powerful? Uh, that first quote come from, came from a teacher uh, who was a professor named Dr. Bilzekian. And, uh, and he, says, uh, he says, all people give their life to something. We all live for something. We all look for significance in something. It's either work or, or we want to be the most liked person or we're very concerned about people, how people see us. And we give our lives to popularity or to power or possessions or comfort or something. He says, everyone gives their life, lives their life for something. Are you living your life for something that's actually important? Are you living a life in a way that you're giving yourself, you know, the new years are ticking by. Carl, how many has it been? The, the years are ticking by. Yeah, you can't hear anymore. The years are ticking by 55. 55, is that right? All right. The years are ticking by. But what are you spending your life on? What are you doing? What are, where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your energy? It's an important question for us to know. And if really, if you believe that what you have in a relationship with God is, is, is wonderful, is the greatest thing that you've found here, if finding redemption has been something wonderful in your life and that you don't have to carry your guilt or your shame anymore, but it's actually been removed from you by the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, then one of the greatest things you can do is to tell someone who hasn't found it yet. Amen? There are people around you at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in your dormitory, at your work, in your classrooms, whose lives are in shambles. Um, they're far from God, and maybe they see God as a distant and judging God, a condemning God. Maybe they think that God would have nothing to do with them. You can be the one to accept them. You can be the one to draw near to them, and one day you can be the one maybe who tell, who, to tell them how God found you. What if we actually live like um, 
we believe that our parents or our coworkers or our neighbors would be better off if they knew our Father? What if we live like, what if we were people who are willing to see opportunities that the Lord puts before us? <clears throat> you know, this is the first part in the series, and all I want to do today is, is, is get you to answer this question. Would you be willing to be used by God to introduce someone to his redemption and his grace? Would you be willing? That's all I want to ask today. Would you be willing to be used? We'll cover more in coming weeks, but that's the question for today. Would you be willing to be used when someone's life is in a shambles to introduce someone else to the God that you found, the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption that you found? Would you be willing to, to, to introduce someone else? That's my only question today. That's what I, where I want to leave you today. All right. The amazing thing is this, is that the God of the universe has equipped you has given the message to you, has given the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy to you, and has equipped you to carry this message to somebody else. It's a wonderful gift. It's an incredible thing. And it's an incredible journey and an incredible purpose in life to be able to connect other people to him. Amen? Amen. Would you be willing? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for the story uh, of of uh, Jesus and this woman who was caught in adultery. We thank you, Lord, because it reveals to us what you're like, that at this moment you are full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, that this is the time of favor, of your favor toward people. Lord, we know that this time won't last forever. So, Father, I pray that you would help us just to be willing, just to be willing vessels to see what you might do in us, just to see how you might carry out your message uh, uh, that, that you've put in us for other people. Lord God, I pray that you would make it so. Lord, be with us. Help us, Father, to remember the, the height or, or the depth that you've rescued us from. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us, Lord, where we were before we knew the Lord Jesus Christ and how far you've brought us. Father, I pray, too, for when we look at people whose lives are a shambles, who are making terrible decisions in their lives, Lord God, I pray, that, Lord God, that we wouldn't see them as being too far off from you but we see someone who's in a desperate need to know and to be connected to their Heavenly Father. I ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen.